This week on Plot Points Podcast, we talk about your big break, we recognize Black History Month, and we get competitive during award season. This is Plot Points Podcast. Hi, this is Mark with uh, Plot Points Podcast. We're uh, again coming to you from beautiful downtown, downtown Newport Beach. Uh, I've had a pretty busy week, an interesting week. Um, I went to some event that I'll talk about in a minute, but before I do that, I want to say hello to uh, Toby Walwork, who is, uh, as usual, sitting there writing some some brilliant uh, prose. Um, it, it might not be that brilliant. <laughs> But uh, hello, everybody. Can it be identified as prose? Uh, I'm not, it's not even writing. Oh, okay. Uh, he's writing out his jokes for later. Yeah. <laughs> to- Toby, no, those just come off the top yeah. of my head. Yeah. He is extemporaneous. He's incredibly extemporaneous. And then the dulcet tones of uh, Mary Claire Anderson Van Kempen. Hi there. How are you doing today? Good. How's the kitty? I, to all of our longtime listeners, I have a cat named Fromfy. Um Went through a bit of a rough patch yesterday, but coming out alive uh, and uh, <laughs> and uh, still very unhappy, which is his natural state. So he's back to normal. <laughs> oh, so he takes after you and not oh Mike. yeah, one hundred percent. All right. Well, so um, I went on Thursday the eighth to the final draft Big Break Awards, which are uh, done every year. Lately, they've been at uh, Paramount Studios in the Paramount Studios Theater, which is just, I mean, talk about a dream. It's wonderful to walk on that lot. Uh, That's where I met J.J. Abrams uh, a few years ago. He was working out of his office there, and basically I just said hello, and he said hello. (laughs) How did you get on the set? (laughs) We're now, in Hollywood terms, that's best friends, but um, he still isn't going to invite me to any family functions. Um, and then, um, so the Big Break Awards are is a contest put on by Final Draft every year. And the, in case you've been living in a cave and you don't know what Final Draft is, it is the de rigueur uh, screenwriting software for uh, this industry. And it's pretty damn good, but it's absolutely essential after you sell a script. I think when you're writing a script, you don't necessarily need it, but afterwards, definitely. Uh, the judges... Uh, are pretty pretty incredible people. They're people like Jeff Portnoy uh, from Bellevue Productions, Brian Spink, who's been around forever. He, in fact, I know Brian. Um, just a bunch of like like uh, ICM is in uh, ICM Magnet uh, Management, and basically they do this to find new talent. So even if they you don't win this contest, some of these people have read your script. So that's why I always advise my students to enter a contest because you just never know. Who's going to be a either a, mm-hmm. a semifinal or a finalist judge? And so uh, they had the um, they had the wonderful Sklar brothers there, who are a great comedy team. They did a great show. the The theme this year was diversity, women and and minorities. And so they said, so for the final draft diversity uh, a diversity theme, they got two white guys who look exactly <laughs> the same, <laughs> which I thought was pretty funny. Um, they honored. Um, couple of people. Liz Hanna, who wrote The Post, 
Um, and I, if we're, if we get to the act three, I have some, some stuff that I want to say about her, but she was pretty inspiring. And a gentleman named Howard Rodman, who I was not aware of, but he has done a lot with Sundance. And uh, he's been, I mean, he was just an incredible speaker, just very uh, inspirational. And then then they gave uh, the awards and we, you know, it was fun. Um, it's free booze and just the most incredible food. So I had fun. Um, but the, you know, the, the contest itself is a legitimate uh, contest to enter. And some of the prize, most of the prizes are access. Um, I don't think they give, they give away $80,000 worth of uh, money, but they also give you incredible access to producers. Uh, every one of these people who, who, who position themselves in the finals uh, or the semifinals gets meetings. And then the top winners get production deals or mentoring. They mentor with production companies. So it's pretty that's pretty, cool. yeah, pretty impressive. Now, just, just to clarify, Mark, though, if I enter, I'm not competing with the lady that wrote the post. No. That mm -hmm. was, so they have like amateur or, or, or non-professional and, what uh, what they do is they honor uh, like they'll like one year they had Nancy Meyer come in and uh, she did a speech and so this year it was Liz Hanna and they also talked uh, the before she got up there was three people who talked before her about how one Bradley Whitford the actor who was in the post and also West Wing and uh, I think I can't remember I still can't remember that he series. he did do quite a nice turn in Billy Madison okay. <laughs> happy you reference that that's wow. exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> So, um, but, and I actually got to talk. He was to him. in Get Out as well. I mean, he was in one of the, this year's, yeah. two of this year's Best Picture right. nominees. So, yeah, he played such a shit in the post. He was really, that's what I told him. I said, You played such a shit. And he goes, Yeah, I did. It's <laughs> not um, that great in Get Out either. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, well, anyway, he was, he was there and I got to meet him, but he also spoke and he spoke very highly of Liz Hanna. They apparently have some sort of production deal going. So they're going to work on a project, another project, but he was, he spoke in very glowing terms. So it was uh, it was a good evening. I enjoyed myself. I didn't. I, I get to see uh, my friend Alejandro Seri, who is in charge of the educational department of Final Draft. Uh, he's the one that gives us all the licenses every year for my intro students to use. And then um, I also uh, got to. I, I had met Scott McMenamin, who is now the president of um, Final Draft. I got to talk to him for about five minutes. He was. You know, as I've been in these events where I'm the main guy and you just people come at you from all sides. So you don't really get a chance to talk mm -hmm. to too many people. So um, but it was good. It was a lot of fun. I wish I could have taken a bunch of people up there because just the idea of walking on the studio set. I've I just I think I've said this before. It's magical. There's something about that. And knowing all the movies and the incredible work that's been done at Paramount um, was really, really gratifying to be there again. I've, I love the studio. Plus, I got to see one of my best uh, friends in the world in the movie business, Catalin Nell, who now is a family therapist, so she's not no longer in film, which I'm still mad at her about. Um, but I did seven movies with her back in the day, and so I got to see – she lives close to, uh, close to the studio, so I got to see her and talk to her for a while, which is always good. Nice. Anyway, I felt like a real uh, screenwriter again, uh, mm -hmm. going actually – the, the the best thing about Final Draft, uh, the awards, is it, everybody talks about the writer. It's always about the writing, the writer, uh, how difficult it is to be a writer, which it is in, at times. I mean, it's like first world problems, right? Um, but it was really nice to go to a place where everybody acknowledges the writers uh, in the in the world. 
even though there was a lot of producers and directors and a couple actors there, it was about the writer, the writer, the writer, the writer. And that is such an empowering feeling um, to under any circumstances. And that's why I think uh, our organization that we all work with, uh, OC Screenwriters, is so important because we need to we need to celebrate the writers. Um, they're the, and Steven Spielberg said it, I don't know, 15 years ago. We need to we need to acknowledge writers more in this business. And so far, no, nobody. <laughs> we're still not getting it. So. Well, I mean, if anybody could do it, uh, Steven Spielberg. Spielberg could do it. <laughs> well, apparently, it's not to be done because I haven't. I haven't really He's seen a very it. busy man. Yeah. So, uh, I did. You guys have any? Uh, we can we can segue into what are we watching? But do you have any anything else you want to say? Um, actually, I mean, maybe this is something we can discuss at a later date or, or, or get audience uh, to chime in. I'm trying to consolidate all my uh, projects, all my uh, different. I've written in Celtics. I've written in Final Draft. I've written in the uh, Amazon mm-hmm. Story Writer. Uh, I'm always looking for something that's very, very flexible and, and opportunity-based. So anything that's browser-based is helpful. But um, over over the last couple of years, they've all tried to pivot their business models a little bit. So uh, I, I was a little wary that, you know, suddenly my script might be behind a paywall, even though they promised I'll never do oh, that. Oh, right, yeah, right, right. And because uh, uh, I like to keep things sort of in the cloud and that sort of thing, and I've got um, I've got templates for most of the regular desktop software but um so you know things like final draft the search for the the holy grail of 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 screenwriting tools goes on but i've been trying to consolidate and like try to find a uh a a format for each one where i'll be like no matter what i do i'll be able to extract it and and if i commit to final draft i'll be able to take this pdf put it in final draft and go uh (laughs) i don't even know what i thought i was gonna do here yeah I've come across some of mine and thought, who wrote this? Yeah. It couldn't have been me. Like sometimes you like the work, but you're like, I don't remember the story. Yeah, or did yeah, I possibly – did I accidentally this file this away, but it was somebody's from class? Because right. I'm like, I don't know what this is. I would never use that word, would I? You know, and uh, it, it is it is sometimes very fun. Yeah, my, uh, my problem is I think I was a better writer 20 years ago than I am today, and that's really frightening to me. So, uh, so what are you looking for? You're looking for – because you – typically what you end up with is exporting – into some intermediary format like RTF yeah. or something like RTF yeah. or or uh, I mean sometimes it's it's you go to a great deal of work to not do the work mm-hmm. so I'm like well, if I do it as an RTF is it going to lose all my formatting and I don't want to have to go through and capitalize that character's name every time and realistically some of that's just going to happen but right. I've been pretty most of the newer applications are are pretty good at figuring out what you meant if you just right. drop a PDF in there. So are you looking for a repository? Because you have you're oh, pretty tech no, savvy. I, I, it's not about where I'm going to. I just want to make sure that as well as being in the cloud, everything is going to be accessible in mm-hmm. a form like you know. I, I, for example, I'll say like an FDX file, which is what Final Draft uses. Right. I don't want to find out in two years that FDXs don't work anymore, and I'm getting some kind of, you know, yeah, third no, party app to try to decode yeah. it. Yeah. But but you know it's. Um, well, just keep all your versions of Final, you know. Yeah, that's what yeah. You that, do. I mean, I do, and I do. I've got, I've got everything from like Final Draft five, which was on floppies. So if if I need that, I'm hosed. I mean, <laughs> what am I going to install that on? It was on floppies. My, oh, my, my Final God. Draft five was on floppies. And do you have? Do you even have a floppy disk player these days? Because uh, uh, I have an external one. But yeah, I, I, I do. I have an external one, but it, it absolutely like I don't have any machine that could possibly because it's the Mac version. I don't have any machine that could even read it. Uh, what is and also, this? I bet they're not even magnetic anymore. 
I, get, I just gave Victor a G5. Uh, it was the same G5 I offered to you a couple of months ago, well, about a year ago. So you should have said something. I would have. No, no. I mean, Final Cut version five was like nineteen ninety six. Oh, even before that. It's uh, it's yeah. There's there's no hardware that. Mm, okay. As far as I know, but hey, somebody from Final Draft can give me a call and say, "Oh, it'll work like the Dickens." Well, I there, I think there'll always be a way to do it. I mean, I've been in computers for quite a while, and I've never had a yeah. format that couldn't somehow be read, but it might not. It might yeah. not be worth the effort. Yeah, and that's, I, I mean, <clears throat> apart from our own musings, maybe the takeaway for our listeners is uh, try not to get hung up on the technical. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever works, stick with yeah. what's working. Well, you you know, you're good with uh, Final Draft. I don't see any uh, any other. If you're in my classes, I can get an educational ver- version mm-hmm. for $99, and that's that's a lot of money. Let's yeah. face it, it's a, it's a $100 bill, but... It's so they're so worth it. I'm still yeah. using eight. I'm not even. I think they're up to ten. Yeah, I was gonna say. I think I'm on nine. So yeah. I'm well, actually, I'm really interested. I'd like to. I'd like to uh, transition into the iOS version of it uh, because Did, I'm just trying to lighten my my general sort of mm-hmm. everyday carry anyway. Like, I love my laptop, but I. I think that's like somebody I, like Cameron writes. I really would like to be working just on my iPad and. And that kind of thing. I've seen it's got a lot of good reviews, but I haven't I haven't plunked down the money. Well, yet. let's so, maybe yeah pose it to the listeners and see what m- people are primarily working within and what they like, what they don't like. Because I I work within Final Draft, but I do uh like at work uh write within Celtics because I don't have Final Draft on my work computer. Yeah, <laughs> like, for yeah. obvious reasons. It was but, it was that kind of so situation. There, yeah, so there are times where I'm pulling it out and then I'm like, oh, I have to copy and paste all of this now. Why didn't I just write this in Final Draft? Like <laughs> this is so irritating. I, I also but, like the idea that someone listening might have been like someone that took a typing class. In school with an actual typewriter, and you're like, oh, I gotta copy and paste <laughs> no, this, yeah. and they're just like, no, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go to Los Angeles and kill that woman. I yeah. have, I've, I've been doing this a long time, and I have yeah. never used a typewriter. That's to me, that's maniacal. <laughs> that's so crazy. Oh God, I can't even imagine what it must have been like when I saw the movie, um, uh, the one, the, the guy, no, the guy oh. who types in the bath, the whites in the bathtub. Oh, dark, yeah. oh, I, I did. Naked lunch. Trumbo. Trumbo. No, trouble, oh, yeah. Trumbo. Trumbo. He, he used to he used that? to write in the bathtub with a with a, <laughs> a, a highball and a cigar or cigarette. I, I just couldn't be- imagine even doing that because there yeah. was one copy. In fact, in the movie The Post, they do a bunch of typing on typewriters and then they send it over to the the paper and it's like, oh my god! I was like, I was sweating because I thought, people live yeah, like yeah. what? <laughs> What happens if that guy gets in an accident? All that material's gone. It's like that great bit in uh, in oh boy, I just spaced on the name in, in misery, misery in misery when uh, when uh, Kathy Bates' character she gives him the typewriter because she wants him to write the and he she gets the wrong paper and it the, the text wipes off it because it's not the right kind of. I mean right. that 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 was 1990. If you if you were watching that film then, you'd just be like, "Oh boy, that'd be a bummer." But now watching it, if if you're under 30, you don't you'd have be like, any idea. I don't what know. What are they doing? What? Yeah. <laughs> why are they type? Why, why are they using that machine? Yeah, Apply. Uh, really inefficient. That yeah. that printer sucks. Well, the post was also they the way they set the paper and all the work that well, my they had a typewriter, uh, like a typewriter that put the the letters in and words, and it was really incredible. I went anyway. Um, so uh, what are we watching? So I'm making my way through all of the nominees for Best Picture, and uh, last night I watched Call Me By Your Name, mm. um, which it's kind of, um, I mean, it's it's a familiar story in the sense that it's sort of a coming of age. It's a love story probably more than anything, except between, you know, two men set in 1983. And um, I love the title. 
Call me by your name. It really is a beautiful film. And I read the script as well. And I really loved the script. I think I loved the script a little bit more than the film. Mm. Um, Like, it's very... That's interesting. Yeah, it's a really, really intimate script. You really kind of feel like you're there with them. Like, kind of in... not in those moments, but sort of in, in the moment in some sense, like during that period of time. Um, but it's, it really like resonates, even though, I mean, I think it's a recognizable story a lot of different ways. And, um, and I really thought it was, it was beautifully told. Um, and so I, I would definitely recommend, and I would recommend reading the script as well. And we'll talk about it later because it is, it is nominated as well for adapted. Oh, adapted. Yeah. We're going to look. Um, but it is uh, it's it's pretty incredible in the way that uh, these these two men kind of find each other and and really again I think more than anything it's a love story and so it's it's really beautiful. Was it best picture nominated? It also? is. What so what do you think was the I mean is that just a a nod toward diversity or is it really I'm not saying it's a bad movie but what I'm curious always curious about the criteria for what who comes. You know, for best best mm-hmm. picture and stuff. I mean, I think the themes. It? I mean, it speaks a lot to yeah, like self definition and really what it means because the main character is uh, Timothy Chalamet's, uh the actor. He uh, he's younger. He's a teenager, and uh, and he he's bisexual in the film, and he's more of the pursuer, and uh, and so that's interesting as well. But um, but it kind of you know because he he sleeps with both men and women in the film, and so it's sort of interesting that he just is sort of exploring kind of like his desires and kind of what longing means to him. But yeah, he there isn't really like okay that. That was, you know, straight sex or that was gay. You know, like you're really mm-hmm. just kind of in the moment as he's trying to figure it all out. And um, and you're kind of there with him along the journey. But I, I really think it's because it's done really delicately. But also it's also told pretty straightforwardly mm-hmm. as well. Just like this is any other love story. And it's a beautiful one. Okay. So what are you watching? Uh, what am I watching? Well, first of all, I just wanted to put a uh, – if I could have put a button on that. I'm trying to read the uh, nominated screenplays before the Academy Awards. I know we're going to talk about that later. But um, – uh, I, I also would recommend anybody who is, is listening, the scripts are all out there. You should try to read them. Mm-hmm. And if you can read it before you see the film, you won't let the film – remember, like, in the in the order that these things happen, the script was first. Mm-hmm. So you can watch the film as an interpretation of the script rather than read the script as an interpretation of the film. Yeah, you, you've read Three Billboards, but you haven't I seen have, it yet. And I, I haven't seen with it me. yet. I've read it, but I haven't seen it either. And I got to tell you, I can't wait to see it because yeah. I it love that It was incredible. Yeah, that was intense. I, I don't love all the choices in it. Like, uh, Toby and I did talk about this because he was more of a fan of the ending than I probably was. Like, it was a little bit problematic for me, but I still thought – I agree. No, I agree with you. I still thought – it was so well written. Um, the pacing yeah. of it, the inciting incident is on the first page. You are right in it. The dialogue is really, really incredible. And that's what that's what we were saying. We're yeah. kind of, I'm really excited to see the picture now. Like I did have some problems with some of the choices that were made, but I, I thought it was really, really well written well, regardless. Again, not, this isn't the time and the place, but I, I just reiterate, you won't be able to have that kind of opinion about the mm-hmm. script as easily if you've already seen the film because yeah. the script will be, you know, you'll be... It will become the script of that film, but if you if you can read the script first, I, I highly recommend it because I think that's uh, it's it's powerful, but it's also very educational because you can see how something in the script could mm-hmm. have been interpreted. Well, for we I signed Mudbound to uh, the intermediate class on Tuesdays, uh, and the script was completely different in one odd respect: is the scenes were out of sequence in the movie. The movie sequence was a completely different. I've never seen this before, although I'm sure it does happen to, but this was like very startling. There was stuff that was at the ending that was in the beginning. And I actually, I actually think the script read better mm-hmm. 
than the and I like the movie quite a bit, but I like the 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 I like the way that the the you know I think writers are computer programmers and we know we're task oriented, right? We start at the beginning, we work to the end, and so I'm not sure why they changed all the all the thing. I mean, maybe you can talk about that a little as an editor. Only I mean I, I haven't seen Mudbound yet, but I would I would say that that definitely suggests if you read it, you have a much better idea of what the writer had in mind, mm -hmm. what got that story sold, what got that movie made. Sure. And then, uh, you know, a producer or a director or someone else interprets the script and goes in a different direction. With Mudbound, it seems pr pr quite different. Yeah, quite different. Other films, because uh, um, I, I read and watched Lady Bird, and you really couldn't, I, from, from the script to the film, you wouldn't know which one came first because it really was the, well, it's the harder literal. Because she wrote and directed. Yeah, and, but oh, it, yeah, there and you it, go. And it read like a it read like a transcription of it. Mm -hmm. and, well, see, and, and it, it's funny because I when I read Call Me by Your Name, I read the script first, and then I watched the movie. And I loved the script, and then the movie is directed by somebody different, and and there were pieces of it that were missing, and I thought that they were like. They were bigger pieces, too, just in terms of, like, sort of the foreshadowing of what was going on and really being kind of in it with them. And so that's why I was like, the script felt um, – I felt the story much harder there. And so, um, you know, I felt the themes were a little bit more honed there. And then, again, the interpretation – I still thought the movie was great, but right. um, but there were some things that were definitely chopped out of the script as well. Yeah, I don't – I have I mean, I've seen a lot of uh, movies where they take – they excise scenes. You know, those are the – uh, you know the 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 ones you go to YouTube to see the the scenes the uh, deleted scenes yeah uh, or on the DVD that nobody buys anymore. But um, I've never seen a script taken completely so completely taken out of sequence as Mudbound was. Yeah, it was pretty startling. And I I wonder if that's because of the narrative because there were three three narrative right. threads in that movie, and I'm wondering if they felt like it was too chopped up or maybe it was I don't know. Anyway. Yeah. Um, are you watch? Did but, you watch anything else? But what am I watching? Yes, I'm watching. First of all, I watched the very important after the Super Bowl episode of This Is Us. <laughs> America now knows what happened to Jack. We cried alone in the car <laughs> driving away from the Super Bowl party, where everybody wondered why you were paying a lot of attention. Um, I just have to say that nobody at the Super Bowl party I was at watched it all. Oh no, that I I, I kind of was like that was great. Look, I kind of have to go because uh, <laughs> gotta run. Because it's like look, because I'm recording this at home, but everyone's going to be talking about yeah, it right yeah, after. Yeah, that's the problem. Yeah. But uh, yeah, that's um, as far as we talk so much about peak TV and stuff. But as far as the broadcast uh, network television, I think it's one of the cleverest shows. Mm. And I don't mean clever like people think Big Bang Theory is clever. I mean clever like take a very uh, relatable story, tell it in a even more relatable but clever right, you've way. Said that, yeah, you've said that, and it's very intriguing to me to watch, so I, I just but, haven't had time. But don't do it if you... Uh, <laughs> That's why I'm not going if, down that if you can watch, If you can watch one episode and not watch the second episode, Great, because I will it, report back. It's like you're immune to it, you know, like like you know, you it's like yeah. Well, no, just <laughs> just that it's not going to kill you, but yeah, but otherwise it, it does fuck you, Mary Claire. And uh, <laughs> transitioning smoothly, I'm also watching Altered Carbon on Netflix. Oh yeah, that's oh, yeah, some, that's on the list. Too. Yeah, and um, I am I'm enjoying it very much. It's doing some pretty, uh, it's doing some pretty clever things about. Uh, that also would probably alienate a big chunk of the audience, specifically like my roommate that I'm watching it with, because it's not explaining things. Have I? We've never met your roommate, huh? No, he doesn't really exist. <laughs> He's a straw man that I just put up so you know I can what? go. Some people <clears throat> don't like it. You know what? That's uh, that's more frightening than I than I can imagine. Yeah. So okay, yeah. I'd like to meet him one of these days. But, he sounds uh, interesting. But yeah, it, it's uh, ultra carbon. It's 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 very interesting. One of the things is. Um, 
when I grew up, I read a lot of cyberpunk sci-fi books anyway. So as I'm watching it, it it's all perfectly like, yeah, you know, it's like they, they take like uh, Blade Runner stuff, but they turn it up a little bit and this, that, and the other. But they never really explain that stuff. So my roommate that wasn't a, a big cyberpunk fan was just like, well, how does this work? And I'm mm-hmm. like, well, in other books, it's been this, this, and this. Mm-hmm. But I went back and I read up on the book that it's based on. And it, there's a there's a trilogy of books. And I forgot that I, – I did write it down, but I forgot the writer's name. But they're, they were all written in um, – starting in 2003, mm-hmm. which is like 20 years into cyberpunk right. fiction. Oh, yeah. So I'm kind of like – Oh, well, no wonder it's so familiar. This guy quite literally gets to, you know, sit on. I'm not accusing anyone of of uh, uh, copying it, but but he definitely gets to sit on the shoulders of giants uh, and and go like, oh yeah, we'll do some of that. We'll do some of this. We'll do some of that. But um, I really enjoy it, and more than once I've had to pause it and have a conversation about what this probably means. Is oh, going interesting. On, so. Yeah, it's it it's on my list. Um, I guess the the book was 2002. Yeah. Uh, Richard Morgan, Richard K. Morgan. Does that sound right? Sure, it's a name. <laughs> That's according to Wikipedia. So, oh well, you know that rag. <clears throat> Actually, when they started, they were a rag. Now they're, I think they're pretty incredible. So, um, so the only thing I'm going to mention, I mean, I saw three billboards: The Shape of Water, The Post, Mudbound, Star Wars. But the one that uh, kind of interested me is one called Babylon Berlin. Oh. which um, I watched the first episode and it is, it's really interesting. It's bizarre. It's, I mean, it's kind of like, it's kind of like what I imagine. Um, what's the, the musical where they do, where they have the, where that was Eliza Manella was in and cabaret cabaret. It, it's kind of like that. It's a, it's a post or a pre-war. It's like, I think it's post the first war and pre the second war and it revolves around German, uh, the German police and stuff like that. Uh, and they brut- – you know, Mary Clary, in class when I was talking, we were talking about uh, who – I saw some guy get brutally yeah, beat. Yeah. That was the, oh, that was it. It was it. Babylon Berlin. They beat the crap out of this guy. And they have – they really do some – but the only – I think the only problem with it is it's, it's dubbed. And um, it's very bizarre. I don't like dubbed uh, stuff. And I don't know why Netflix went this way, but maybe it was already done. It's it's interesting because um, there's other things on Netflix. There's a there's a, a Russian show, oh. which I just spaced on the name of it, but that's just subtitled. Yeah, I like subtitles. So I, I I think perhaps the creators of the show are deciding. I don't think necessarily Netflix right. is deciding. Yeah, it, I think what they did is they bought it and they bought it the dubbed version. But most of the things that I see on Netflix that are in that are from different countries are subtitled. Yeah. Uh, a lot of the Danish and the Swedish yeah. uh, and so. Anyway, um, it was interesting. I'm I'm kind of into it, and I'm going to finish it. But it's very dark. It's very uh, it's an ugly, ugly world. Um, that if I don't again, I don't not sure of the time frame, but it was not a, a not a happy place. So um, okay, and then I'm I'm writing a lot. Um, I'm doing a lot of tangential writing to my my main career, but I'm working on my book proposal. Uh, still, and I'm I'm prepping a series idea for a submission into something. I don't know where, but I I like uh, I came up with this idea I like, and then I've been trying to think of a limited location script to write, and I'm not. I have a, a lot of ideas, but you know the problem with those they're hard to they're not hard to conceptualize. But you think about 90 pages of creating a situation with just a, a few characters and not a lot happening. That's pretty daunting. That's why I'm so impressed with movies like Hard Candy. And um, uh, some of the ones that take place, like uh, Alien Raider, 
Oddly enough, if you've never seen this movie, it's Raider meaning like somebody who comes in and like the Raiders. Um, I just pointed at my hat. Did you see that? uh, Yeah. Podcast land. The one our viewers at home will be very confused. (laughs) I'm a Raiders fan, but uh, it's a really fantastic movie because of the the concept. It all takes place in a grocery store. And I, there are some really, really twisty things in there. So that's what I'd like to do is create something like that. Where, but I, I just, I'm not having any success with it. But I'm also, then I haven't worked on my, the Revolutionary War script for a month, so I'm going to get to that uh, this week, uh, maybe. Keep at it, Mark. Yeah, yeah. Wait, now, <laughs> if, if I can just ask, just so you can clarify for the audience to know, you're working on your book proposal, but you're already working on the book, right? The it's book not, is mostly done. It's just you want to make sure that you're, now you're looking for uh, publishers. And, and Well, I have an agent interested in it, um, and what I sent her a proposal that I, I based. Uh, Jeff Lyons, who we've had on the podcast a couple times, helped me with the proposal, and I sent it to the agent, and she said, this is really good. I like the idea. I think it could be something but then she gave me like two pages of notes because uh, I don't know what the F I'm doing when I'm doing book proposals. One of the, the you know, pro tip, you're supposed to not write it in first person, uh, which I did because it's a book about screenwriting and it's about my screenwriting. And so I, you know, I went on and on about me. So uh, but she she's uh, gave me notes to shape the proposal to the markets that she perceives would be the the best way to go. So she, I'm really lucky uh, to have uh, Jeff help me quite a bit with this, and I, I've been a, very appreciative of his of his help. But this is the second draft for the for the agent. Okay. And then hopefully it'll go to a, uh, a publisher, or I mean, if worse comes to worse, I'll just put it online on Amazon and hope that I have ten thousand friends yeah. out there somewhere. Well, I mean, and we've we've talked to Jeff Lyons, and, and self uh, self publishing yeah. is very viable, especially Absolutely. for things that are. Uh, you know, very specialized and, and, and kind of niche. And, um, you know, I, especially for the listener, I'm also saying like, don't just, just because you don't have somebody that wants to read your book or your script or whatever, mm-hmm. doesn't mean you don't have to write it. And, and, you know, going to a cocktail party and talking about your movie idea is, is not doing it. I've been, I've been networking for 25 years and I have yet to get anything out of it, but, uh, <laughs> But every once in a while, somebody will come, will drop into my lap. So it's, it is about relationships, but that networking shit, I, in yeah. my experience, does not work. Well, it, We're going to have to get Victor in here to talk about this because he is probably the best uh, self-promoter on the planet when it comes to his artwork and his writing and all. He's on Amazon, on Etsy. on. So we should have him maybe come in and talk uh, uh, talk about that, just give a kind of a, yeah. an overview of it. Um Okay, so uh, we're going to move into uh, the um, – what am I trying to say? My my profile. This profile was suggested by Victor Fan, who's an uh, OC Screenwriters board member and a good friend. Um, and I, I thought it was a brilliant idea, but in, in honor of Black History Month, um, I'm going to talk a little bit about black screenwriters uh, and some playwrights too because they, they transitioned. Um, it's striking to me that of the 18 profiles of famous writers I've done on this podcast, none have been men of color or women of color. Perhaps that's in large part because most of the writers I've looked at have had a body of film and television work that stretches decades. And as we all know, many people were excluded from Hollywood's white male club for many years, or so I thought. I'm not going to comment on this beyond to say that it's gotten better, but we still have a long way to go. According to most statistics, only 5% of the writers on television are black. 
and about the same for feature films. That's just not even close to being representative. Um, although I will say there's more, if you, if you categorize as men or women of color, there's a lot, the statistics a lot higher. Some black writers and filmmakers stand out, Spike Lee, Tyler Perry, John Singleton. They were outliers at the time. And of course, there was the black exploitation movement of the 70s and 80s, a ripple in the continuum that really didn't last. I'll cover some of these men and women, but this is in no way comprehensive or complete list. You, I, I just couldn't imagine doing something like that. There are a lot of writers who have done one-offs. I just want to do my tiny part to contribute to the dialogue and diversity that is becoming increasingly more important as we move through these sometimes dangerous political times. August Wilson is a playwright, uh, or was a playwright, who was awarded two Pulitzer Awards and a Tony for his work. He had several of his plays turned into films, including the most recent Fences, which he adapted to the screen from his play starring Denzel Washington and Viola Davis. The movie was nominated for hundreds of awards for picture, screenplay, acting, and more. Wilson was born poor in 1945 in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. He managed to work his way out of poverty, but even when he succeeded by being brilliant in school, he was accused of plagiarism by a racist teacher who didn't believe that Wilson, a black teen, could be the author of such insightful work. I mean, can you imagine? They included uh, His work included a series of 10 plays called The Pittsburgh Cycle, for which he received two Pulitzer Prizes for drama. Each work in the series is set in a different decade and depicts both comic and tragedies, complexities, uh, tragic comedies, sorry, tragic complexities, problems, and beauty of African-American life. Wilson died in 2005, but the completed screenplay for Fences uh, was done before his death. Lorraine Vivian Hansberry, uh, 1930 to 1965, she died quite young, was an African-American playwright and writer. Uh, Hansberry was the first black female author to have a play performed on Broadway. Does anybody know or uh, want to guess? Imagine a, a, a seminal uh, play about black black life. It's gonna. It's. I, I know mean, it's. Uh, I, I think, I'm gonna write it down just because uh, I, I think guessing might be no. embarrassing. <laughs> okay. Wait, the color purple. No, but uh, even before then. Wait, what did you say? Color purple. Uh, Raisin in the sun. Yes, oh. it is Raisin in the sun. Uh, her best-known work. Wait, wait. Just let me take a moment no, can, again I to bathe it. in the my 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 sensitivity and wokeness <laughs> about *Raising the Sun*. Read it in high school. Yeah, I, vaguely I remember, remember what it was about. The, yeah, Mary Claire, put down that that uh, phone. You're not throwing it at him again. Uh, her best-known work, the play. Yes, Toby. Good, good guessing. Yes. Uh, do we have to give you now? Uh, Com no, uh, competition award, what do they call that? Uh, achievement awards. I just, I'd like some, like a ribbon <laughs> would be nice. That's okay. A Raisin in the Sun focuses on black Americas living with segregation in Chicago. The title of the play and movie adaptation come from the poem Harlem by Langston Hughes. The quote is, what happens to a dream deferred? Does it dry up like a raisin in the sun? This was in part suggested. I'm that metaphor. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're not. <laughs> This was in part suggested by her family's struggle against segregation, which ended in legal action all the way to the Supreme Court in the case Hansbury versus Lee. I'm always amazed uh, when my my dad and mom were the least political people in the world. When you see a family that has that's so active, you know, even early and early on at the age of 29, Hansbury won the New York Drama Critics Award for her play, which made her the first African-American dramatist, the fifth woman and the youngest playwright to do so. Raisin has been adapted to film and television many times, most famously in 1961 with Sidney Poitier and Ruby Dee, directed by Daniel Petrie. Hansberry did the script. 
Both her plays and various adaptations have been generously awarded with awards for many years. Despite being married to Robert uh, Nimaroff, a songwriter and political activist, excuse me, Hansberry was believed to be a closeted lesbian based on her personal papers. She certainly did support gay rights and write, and write about feminism and homophobia quite a bit. Hansberry died young at the age of 34, and besides Raisin has several other television and feature scriptwriting achievements like The American Playhouse and Camera 3. Alice Childress, born in 1916 and died in 1994, was an American playwright, actor, and author, acknowledged as the only African-American woman to have written, produced, and published plays for four decades. Quote, um, quoting uh, Wikipedia here, Childress described her writing as trying to portray the have-nots in a have-society, saying, My writing attempts to interpret the ordinary because they are not ordinary. Each human is uniquely different, like snowflakes. The human pattern is never cast twice. Um, although primarily a playwright and novelist with hundreds of works, she also wrote a teleplay and a film based on her other work. Uh, of notable mention is Gordon Parks. I think uh, Toby's going to like this this one. He was primarily a photojournalist and documentarian, which I know is dear to your heart, but he's credited with starting the black exploitation movement in the 70s, including directing the iconic... Shaft. Shaft. You got it. Um, <laughs> no, no, but the correct answer is, you're damn right. <laughs> uh, he also directed Lead Belly in 1974, Super Cops, and 1972's Shaft Big Score, Shaft's Big Score. His son, Gordon Parks Jr., directed the movie Superfly. Um, so there are just too many writers to cover in this segment. But as mentioned, I think – so I broke them down into three categories. One, uh, The first group that I, I did the profiles on are uh, writers who are pretty much before the kind of modern era. And then you have guys that like outliers like Spike Lee, Tyler Perry, John Singleton, Robert Townsend, Chris Rock, George Wallace, Bill Duke, Kevin uh, Grievous – Wanda Sykes and Larry Wilmore, who was on The Daily Show and then had his own show. Um, Spike Lee has 21 credits as a writer and 77 as a director. Tyler Perry has 47 as a writer and 45 as a director. And I promise that I will profile them both uh, shortly. I just can't believe I overlooked uh, these two men. Um, there's also, in my opinion, a really exciting group of younger men and women coming up. Um, John Ridley, who did 12 Years a Slave. Jeffrey Fletcher, who did Precious and 45, which was the story of um, uh, Jackie Robinson. Both of those two have Oscars uh, for those two scripts. Yeah, he is a good writer. Yeah, Precious was fantastic. I, he won. It blew me away. Lee Daniels, uh, who did Star and Empire. Uh, Mara Brooke uh, Akil, Akil, A-K-I-L, who wrote The Game and Being Mary Jane. Justin Simeon, who was a personal favorite of mine, who wrote Dear White People. And then he also did the series that's on Netflix, which is fantastic. Shonda Rhimes, who has done just about everything at ABC for the last 10 years, including Grey's Anatomy, Scandal, How to Get Away with Murder. Uh, Aaron Magruder, who did a comic strip in the animated show The Boondocks. Uh, Jordan Peele, who I first saw on Mad TV. Uh, yeah, he was fantastic. Both of them, Key and Peele, were both yeah. on Mad TV. Gina Prince Blythewood, who did one of my favorite. Dramas, The Secret Life of Bees. Uh, if you haven't seen that movie, I highly recommend it. It's really fantastic. Marlon Wayans, um, who's done quite a bit as one of the Wayans brothers and on his own. Ryan Coogler, who you guys know who he yeah. is? Yeah, Black Panther. Mm -hmm. And Fruitvale Fruit Station. Yeah, Fruit and Creed. Film. And Creed, mm -hmm. yeah. I love that film, too. Yeah, they're all good. 
Uh, Issa Rae, who uh, did the web series Awkward Black Girl and uh, is co-creator of Insecure. Lena Waithe, um, who did – she has an Emmy for – she's the Denise in Master of None, but she has an Emmy for the, for an Excellent episode. This year. Yeah, for uh, – called Thanksgiving with Aziz Azaria. And Saria, and then uh, Kenya Kenya Barris, who wrote who writes Blackish. So I mean, I think those are really notable. Uh, those are all men and women of color, um, and they they're really fantastic. Uh, the work is incredible when you look at you it. You mentioned Barry Jenkins too, who he won last year for best original screen or adapted for Moonlight. Yeah, Moonlight. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Okay. Anyway, um, so you know, I mean, there's there's and there's two this year, right? There's Mudbound and right. uh, Jordan Peele. Yeah. yeah so uh, two. And Mudbound is actually uh, I I I just forgot the director's name, but the director is. Oh, Virgil Williams. Well, no. it's written by Virgil Williams and D. Reese. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and and D. Reese, uh, I believe it's D. Reese is also uh, the first uh, openly gay. Oh yeah. Uh, director has been Academy Award nominated. Right. Well, she and she's the first African American woman to be nominated as well yeah. for adapted story. I mean, it's uh, it's yeah. Well, I mean, I think um, I, this is just you know, it's it. I think it's a shame that we have to have a show about diversity or or, or mention diversity in today's world. And I thought we were going in the right direction, and then suddenly we got waylaid in 2016. But um, I think we'll 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 see more and more of. Uh, these really talented men and women, uh, I don't think there's any impediment to them. Oh, my God, I watched uh, – somebody recommended the, Saturday, the SNL uh, skit about the Academy Awards and all the white men that were nominated for, like, being man on phone. And <laughs> all the black actors were excluded. It was hilarious if you've never seen it. It's, I think it was last year they did it. But um, I'll put a link to the WGA uh, has a, a diversity report from 2017, which is really interesting. It doesn't only include men and women of color, but also age and, mm-hmm. and uh, gender. So I'll put a um, I'll put that in the show notes so you guys can check that out. Uh, I think it's pretty interesting. And then um, I mean I I'm sure I've forgotten a bunch of people. So if you want to yell at me and call me an idiot, Mary Claire, how can they get in touch with us? Yeah, you can go to our website at plotpoints.com or you can call us. And actually, we have a voicemail yelling at Mark nine one nine scripts. We'll play it for sure. Come at me, bro. <laughs> Um, so did you, I mean, you guys obviously are fans. I've heard Mary Claire mention Master of None a bunch of times and, uh, obviously Fruitville Station and I, I'm, are you looking forward to Black Panther? Either one of you? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It got great reviews, so I'm excited to see. I don't know anything about that character, so, um, or how they exist kind of in that universe, so. I, I even had, uh, I'm sorry, I, I I even had that, uh, kind of Wilfred Brimley moment. I was with my nephew (laughs) yesterday, uh, at GameStop. You're, you're welcome. And uh, and they had the Black Panther action figures already on sale, and I was like, "Oh, that Black Panther looks pretty good." And he goes, "Yeah, I don't know." And I suddenly felt like uh, mm. what a social justice warrior hat was on. I'm like, "No, man, we're we're gonna go see this because this is important." And he's like, "Why?" And I just was like, "Hold on," because it's gonna kick ass. Yeah. And so I had to back away because I didn't want to uh, politicize it. But I'm uh, one of the things about uh, specifically Black Panther is Ryan. Uh, uh, Ryan wrote it. Also had got notes from uh, Doug uh, um, Donald Glover. Oh, Donald Glover. Oh yeah, um, yeah. He's, yeah, he's a great writer. And even though uh, Atlanta, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, for Atlanta, which is a f- fantastic show and very uh, uh, from 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 the outside, it would look like this seems like a show by black people for black people. Mm-hmm. And I, I as as a not black person, I 
I know America wants to hear my take on diversity, but <laughs> I loved that show and I didn't have any issue with it being like, I didn't feel I was watching, uh, what was it? The show you were talking about. I didn't feel I was translating, uh, uh, Berlin Babylon. Right. <laughs> but like, Oh, well this must be what that's like. I'm like, no, these are human beings. Right. And I'm super into that. Now we, we did talk and I, I did a little research. Just give me a moment here. Uh, if you search on Wikipedia, which we enjoy as the, uh, love it as, <laughs> America's most flexible encyclopedia. If you do a search for screenwriters, there are hundreds and hundreds of screenwriters that have achieved some degree of notoriety, and therefore they have a Wikipedia page. It's not just it's not the phone book. Right. If you do a search for African American screenwriters, there are ninety four. Wow, that's not a lot. That's not a lot. Um, that's what I see. And that means that there are there are obviously way more than ninety four right. African American screenwriters, but those are the ones that have achieved. Whatever modicum of recognition gets on a Wikipedia page. Now that there's there's a um, I don't know anything about sports, but I do love stats because I think stats can show a different pattern. Um, if there's only 94 uh, sort of recognizable African American screenwriters, well then that means there's not that many screenwriters. No, it means that screenwriters of color are not getting a the opportunity, which always seems like a thing that. Uh, it's it's almost like a straw man argument, like, oh, they're not getting enough opportunity. Well, they're not trying hard enough, blah, blah, blah. No, there are reported, there are people, uh, one of the writers on um, Atlanta, oh gosh, I have her name here, because uh, she, she had a great op-ed piece in The Guardian, but she sort of talked about how on a show, there's actually been more inroads for people of color in television mm -hmm. than there have been in movies, which is better than not, but not enough. But, uh, but she was saying that like people that are showrunners and stuff, they are not looking to hire black writers unless it's a black show because they think that they're because yeah. well, you write what you know. Yeah, and that's yeah, a, that's Hollywood. But yeah, that's not that's not specific to Hollywood. That's like them hiring me to write a romantic comedy when all I've really been known for is action adventure sci-fi. Yeah. They really do categorize you. But yeah, that that pigeonholing is is it's horrible. And and as again as a white guy, let me tell you about diversity. I am being poorly served by my entertainment if I'm not being given the most interesting variety of stories. Mm -hmm. And I'm pretty sure I'm in touch with the white guy experience, but I'm open to other people's experiences. Well, but how do you – so this is interesting to me though. How do you write, how do you write about um, gang members or, or how do you write science fiction if you don't have that – I think the, the mindset is so narrow-minded. I mean you can't – Nobody's gone into space except the astronauts and Elon Musk. Uh, apparently, he came down from Mars. But um, you, you, you've got to go outside of your your experiences to be a writer. I don't think I could write about the black experience, but I certainly could write about uh, poverty and and uh, lack of uh, diversity and all that stuff. Yeah. I've been prejudiced against because I'm I'm older. I'm you know I'm not known for certain things about uh, writing and things so. That's just a horrible well, mindset. Yeah, and it's it's just a shortcut that makes certain things easier. And um, I, I think when we do talk about institutionalized racism, there's actually something that's far more dangerous, which is uh, just like collective racism. Yeah. Like, well, we all kind of accept that. Well, I mean, you write what you know, and, and they don't know what it's like for this, that, and the other. And you're like, the, specific, the, the more specific a story is – often is what makes it more relatable. Mm -hmm. And um, you're doing yourself a disservice if you're not watching uh, stories or, or reading stories or you know however you get your entertainment that's outside of your 
your circle of knowledge, your circle of influence. Mm-hmm. And it sounds a little soapboxy, but it's like, hey, no, it's what, not. watch Atlanta. And if it confuses you, stop watching yeah. Atlanta. Well, I mean, it's not for everybody. Some people may not like the drama. Uh, I love, I love dear white people. Mm-hmm. I have no, I can't, I can't relate to that black experience, but I certainly can relate to, to anger and love and hate and competition. And that's, there's no difference between anybody who they, that's what you, when you write what you know, you write what you know, because everybody has those experiences. Yeah, I can relate to yeah. those yeah. types of themes. Now, if I can just, like I said, I love stats. So I went onto Wikipedia. There's a couple of people that I'd like to recognize here. A guy named Lewis S. Peterson. Now, Lewis S. Peterson was the first African-American who was nominated for an Emmy for writing. Hmm. And he was nominated for an Emmy in 1957. True. But, That's got to be the show. beginning of the Emmys. But the next person that was nominated for an Emmy that was an African-American was David Mills in 1996. Holy wow. shit. 40 wow. years. So Lewis S. Peterson, uh, uh, I know nothing about him. I could just touch this thing and read it, but has not yet been a primetime Emmy Award for Outstanding Writing for a Drama Series awarded to an African-American. There have been four nominations. David Mills got two of them. Four nominations. Uh, also, for performing in uh, a comedy or variety show, which is things like like Larry Wilmore on uh, on his on and his show, his yeah. show, those shows. Uh, Flip Wilson got one in 1972. Jesus, 1972, kids. Next person. Larry Wilmore. Wow. In uh, well, this, this was the first year that somebody won an, uh, and Sterling K. Brown won the or won the Emmy for This Is Us, and it was the first time any black actor had ever won for yeah. you know lead in a drama. But wow. ever and and. <laughs> So yeah, so every time we do that, every time there's a Sterling K. Brown, and we all think, well, thank goodness we're there. But why isn't it closer? Okay, so um, again, if you want to talk to us, uh, there's a website and there's a phone number. Mary Claire, you want to talk to uh, us about that? Yeah, you can reach us at 919-SCRIPTS or popboyds.com. Yeah. Um, and we're going to go into Mary Claire's segment. I'm not going to do an act three this week because we're running long. And then afterwards, I want to talk a little bit about what's going on with those screenwriters, if we have the time. So, uh, Mary Claire, so we're going to do a an Oscar show, Oscar show in the next podcast. Next podcast. Uh, but last week you did, or last time you did, we uh, did best original screenplay last time. So we'll do adapted, and I think for the bigger Oscar podcast, we'll do sort of the big five. You know, best movie, best director, categories. yes, actress, actor, and then original screenplay. Okay. Um, so nominees for adapted screenplay. So there are five, of course. Um, so Scott Frank and James Mangold for Logan, uh, which was one of the bigger surprises on nomination morning was the recognition of an X-Man. Um, you know, because really that's a strange example too. I mean, it's mostly that in that it's the adapting of a larger mythos, like rather than a particular story. Um, James Ivory for Call Me By Your Name. He's the oldest nominee this year and potentially will be the oldest winner. Uh, he's 89 years old. Oh, my gosh. Wow. <laughs> Good for him. Um, Scott Newsander and Michael H. Weber for The Disaster Artists. Aaron Sorkin for Molly's Game. And then Virgil Williams and Dee Reese, who we referenced earlier, for Mudbound. Um, and, yeah, I mentioned some of the, the interesting facts about some of these nominees. Molly's Game is another interesting example kind of in the adaptation game, mostly because, I mean, it's an adaptation of Molly Bloom's memoir, but it's referenced in the movie. So the film's narrative arc is around sort of that framing device that it takes place after the memoir has already been published because she uses it in um, sort of her fight against the U.S. government. And then 
uh, room or the disaster artist was based on a memoir by Greg Sestros about the making of the room, which has always been sort of, I think, ripe for a film adapt or adaptation, um, given how eccentric that character Tommy Wiseau is and really just like the improbable circumstances around the creation (laughs) of that, like, cult hit um and then mudbound from the research that i've done it, it's a pretty close adaptation at least kind of on a structural level um because it is kind of told from multiple characters perspectives um and there are uh, i mean again from kind of the, the look of the script the the dialogue i mean in the individual moments are really pulled directly from um from or they're largely the same i should say so um so yeah so those are all the nominees this year i kind of have a thought about who's potentially going to win this year um but i think all pretty sound scripts i mean i've read two of these um yeah i I haven't read any of the scripts i've seen two of the movies i've seen logan and mud logan was fantastic i i didn't realize it was uh nominated Mm -hmm. for best adapted but it's a fantastic film it is it it, that is interesting like you said because it's an existing piece of work but it's not um. Well, I mean, and I read a lot of comic books, but it's not mm-hmm. based on a book. It's based on on a, a work of a different uh, medium. Medium, right? yeah. It's great because it's um, it's a much darker mm-hmm. uh, and and much more dramatic vision. There's plenty of action in the film. I thought great action. I think it's but... great because it's an action film. Like yeah. it's a superhero yeah. film, also. So it's encouraging to see well, that ju- that type of stuff is getting nominated yeah. as well. I well, mean... it just shows you what you can do with these characters. Were built to be this type of a character marvel is always i mean spider-man used to have to take pictures of himself performing in order to make money he was always had angst and to a great extent they 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 i hate to say the word but they whitewashed that in the movies but logan was truly what's what's capable and uh so one of the last superhero movies that was nominated was the incredibles that was nominated for best Man, <laughs> original the, screenplay the <laughs> best I just love that, yeah. Now, so what do you think is going to win? I think Call Me By Your Name is going to win. Um, I think that that is probably where – I don't know if it's going to win much else on on the big night, and so I think that's where they'll kind of award its win. I think it, it's very deserved amongst these nominees too. I think it kind of marks a career win for James Ivory as well. Mm-hmm. Um, he's never won for any of it. He's mostly known as a director. Um, he's yeah. written is most this of the it. guy that's 89? Yeah. yeah. Um, he that wrote would be fantastic. The oldest, so the last oldest nominee – um, was Enrico Maricone for uh, for his score for the Hateful Eight? He won two years ago, I think, and he was 87 at the time. Yeah. So, and, and, um, and, and, and yeah, oh, sorry. and he's awesome. Yeah, and oh, that was a great score. He's too. got like 370 credits like, on that. Yeah. My God, yeah. what well, was what's the guy who did uh, King's Speech? Yeah, he was he was uh, 80, he was like 86, so he was beat Shit. by Maricone, yeah. and now yeah, so but, and he won for yeah King's Speech. He gave one of the most beautiful speeches I've ever heard. He did, in he did, history. and that was yeah. a beautiful movie yeah, too. It was. And James Ivory is the the director is that of, Ivory Merchant? It's the Merchant yes, Ivory yes, films. Yes, yes. Yeah. yeah. So, so in the eighties, Passage to India, yeah, a yeah. lot of those. Sort Room with of, the View. Room with the View. Howard's End. The yeah. Howard's End. Yeah. Maurice. Those are all wow. his films. Wow. And uh, yeah. So, so yeah, it, it's it is interesting because I, I think uh, it like just his age alone makes it interesting. Well, yeah. It, you know, the it's biggest. Actually, yeah, telling a coming of age story. Like, yeah. I think right. About different perspectives. But that's. There. That, well, I mean, imagine, that, that goes... imagine what he had to face when it, mm-hmm. I assume he's gay. He is. So imagine what he had to face when he was a young man and how he was never really able to express himself as an individual because of his sexuality. Yeah. And yeah. also, but like we said, but what we were talking about earlier, when we were talking about uh, uh, African-American writers, he wrote what he knew, but 
he was definitely outside of the demographic of the main character. The main character is a young guy. Yeah, he's an old man. It's like, but th- th- there's there's a relatable human experience. Sure. It's the same. Look, old or young, black, white, male, female, everybody knows joy, pain, sorrow, uh, disappointment, and all the other you know the emotions you yeah. can imagine. So. Okay, I think I have no idea, but I'm I'm going to I think I'm probably going to go with Molly's game. I'm gonna we we can do our predictions on the we, should, yeah. we will yeah. we'll we should definitely what do should that. Win, what will win, and then yes, we will do a competition. I hope they give it to win. I hope they give it to Ivory. Uh, I just think yeah. that the this... hey, well the USC Scripter Awards were last night, and Call Me by Your Name won, and the WHR nice. WGA's. Uh, awards are tonight, so we will see. That's usually a big indicator of what okay, will happen. Yeah. On so after award after award season is over, we can maybe uh, look at the all the award like the top awards, like from Golden Globes and all the other ones. There's yeah. a ton of them out there. So, all right. Uh, so uh, again, I'm not going to do an Act Three. Uh, we're right at uh, the time where we need to kind of be wrapping it up. But I just want to mention. Uh, all of us here are members of the Orange County Screenwriters Association, which has been in uh, continuous operation since 2009. We've had a lot of events. We have a, a great event coming up. Um, Bob Engels will be our guest on March 24th, which is a Saturday morning. Uh, you can get detail, put details in the show notes. I always mention OC Screenwriters, but he is one of the writers of the original Twin Peaks series, and he did Andromeda. And he now, he's just a great, great speaker he's got so many stories um and also um tangential to that a director named josh eisenstadt who's a friend of mine uh will be coming down i think to uh to be with bob because he's also a twin peaks super fan um but just recently we got an opportunity to open um oc screenwriters up to a more uh consistent um i don't know i guess you event thing we we're going to do the third Wednesday of every month in Costa Mesa, we're at um, the C3 Coffee Shop and Vape Shop, Coffee and Vape Shop. We're going to do um, like a kind of a meetup. So look for details on that. That's coming up. That will be the first one will be March 21st, which is a Wednesday. And then we will do uh, one a month, uh, hopefully for the rest of our lives. Yay. Mm-hmm. Um, and hopefully we're going to get um, screenwriter Warren Lewis, who wrote Black Rain and... Um, 13th warrior to to be our guest but it should be a lot of fun we we encourage anybody who's local to come at some point we may live stream it or put it up on youtube but for right now we're just going to try to get it get through the night because we don't know what we're doing we've never Mm -hmm. tried this before but anyway um so any comments or general things you guys want to do to wrap up the podcast uh just only about the 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 c the c3 announcement which is the vape shop the the c yeah the vape shop and coffee shop i mean this is uh this will be a monthly event where um, people can come and meet other people that are interested in Network, filmmaking. Right. So there's a definite networking opportunity, but also just a, a free exchange of information with industry professionals. Uh, Warren, uh, we had Warren at an event. He was fantastic. He was fantastic. Uh, very approachable, and uh, and it will be very informal. So if you if it's the kind of if you're the kind of person that would be a little shy, getting in front of a bunch of people and asking a question, you'll have an opportunity to talk mm-hmm. to. To people like that, so if you're if you're in the Southern California area at all, uh, we're going to do it thir- the third Wednesdays of the month. And yeah, I mean, if you it, love film or like talking about it, or yeah, I mean, just want to yeah. be a part of a community, I think this is a good place. To and start. also, there will be coffee, and the the smell of melted Jelly Ranchers will hang heavy <laughs> in the air. Well, uh, the the guy who owns the shop is also an OC screenwriter board member, so 
one of the things we've always done well is network among the board members, but we've never really been successful at networking much between the memberships, the membership people. So this is hopefully a, a step in that direction. Um, I'm, I'm kind of work. My idea was to model it after the old computer club um, me, uh, meetings where you would go and you would exchange floppy disks and you would, they would talk. I belong to WordPress, Joomla and a bunch of other computer ones. And it's just a topic. You know, you, somebody suggests a topic, somebody gives a talk. Uh, but just at its core, as Toby said and, and Mary Claire said, there it's a networking opportunity to meet some of the – we have some amazing people here in Orange County, and we're just not serving them well. So OC Screenwriters is stepping up. Uh, we're going to call it uh, OC Film and Television. There will be a website, a Facebook page, a meetup page, and all that stuff. Uh, we're putting that in the works. And we'll have certainly more to talk about on the next show, but please, 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 if you're interested, uh, just join the OC Screenwriters um, newsletter, and we will uh, be uh, putting out a newsletter for both of these events coming up soon. Yeah. yeah. So I'd like to thank you, too, for another great uh, podcast. It's been a joy. Um, I hope that Fluffy, or whatever that cat's name is going to uh, be, Fronfy, yeah, or whatever, yeah, okay. <laughs> Uh, has a has a, a, a simple and easy recovery. And Toby, uh, I know you. I, I have no pets. By the way, my screenwriting classes are ongoing. Um, they're at Irvine. They're through Irvine Valley College. We're in the middle of a semester now, but a new semester starts in April, uh, and then goes. We we never stop. I never. I'm kind of like that Energizer Bunny when it comes to the classes. And to tell you the truth, the best part of those classes is not me. It's the people who attend them. So I highly recommend. If you want a place for a workshop to to learn some things about your your I I just learned the difference between metaphor and simile. Thank you, Dan. Yeah. Um, and, other, you, and you also learned about how a goldfish can get really. That's big. right, absolutely. So, anyway, it's a great they're great classes because of the people who attend them, and uh, I'm really lucky to have uh, these people as part of the critiquing group and and just as uh, to interact. So. Okay, guys, uh, thank you so much. Uh, have a great uh, next week or so, and then uh, we'll be back in a couple weeks. But um, all right, guys, thank you so much. Uh, have a wonderful week, and um, you know, uh, be inspired. Do good work.